0: You're listening to the Code Four Podcast. Whatever, 4, 25, you status. Code 4. 4, 11, 4. Hi, this is Jeff Richards. Welcome to this episode of the Code Four Podcast. It was recorded February eighth, twenty twenty one. In this episode, you're going to hear the story of a police officer's struggle with cumulative stress combined with using alcohol as a coping mechanism, and the effects that had on him and his family. He was fortunate to have some caring people, including his wife, a supervisor, and Code 4, help him get back on track. My thanks to him for his willingness to help others by sharing a story and for volunteering at Code 4. And now we'll get to that story. Okay, so I'm sitting across from Steve Johnson, and he's a officer with the King County Sheriff's Office, and he's been there since uh, 05? 05, right? Yep. And you were
1: at uh, Snohomish County
0: before that for yeah, a while? Yeah, I worked an
1: agency up in Snohomish County from uh, late 99 until 05, and they came to the county after that. Okay,
0: and um, there was a, a moment that we're going to talk about, and, uh, and you eventually did make a call to Code 4. Correct. Yeah, but there was some stuff that was going on before that, of course.
1: Uh, yeah, the the glass got a little too full, and uh, life got tough, and uh, it was a, a good, I don't regret it at all, but uh, at the time, it was uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever done.
0: To make that call. To make
1: the call. I did, and it, it was 100% necessary, and uh, uh, it, frankly, it, it snuck up faster than I, I thought it would. Um, knowing that the months leading up to it, that it was probably a long overdue, but, uh, yeah, before I knew it, I was on my driveway at 10 o'clock in the morning, crying my eyes out and, and, uh, wondering how in the world it, uh, it, it got to that point, but also so relieved that it, that finally that, uh, my secret was out.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's back up and, and kind of talk about what was going on in your life.
1: Well, um, we talked about a little bit downstairs. I mean, I've been a cop for, you know, roughly 10 years. Uh, and then in October 5th, 2010, uh, I was working a, a nighttime assignment and I was uh, driving my car way too fast to try to catch up to what I thought was a drunk driver and uh, crashed my car really good, uh, broke a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, the the medics in the field saved my life, uh, decompressed my chest and uh, woke up in the ICU at View about 12 hours later with, uh, intubation tube in my throat and a chest tube out of my left side and some very, very upset, concerned, uh, family and friends, uh, coworkers standing over me. So it was, uh, that was hard. That was a very, very difficult, uh, time. It's, it's emotionally just even thinking about it now, but waking up from, uh, that kind of event and having your wife standing over you is, is not a good thing. Yeah. I can only imagine. What did uh, the
0: medic had something to say to you about the, you were telling me about the needle.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah the, uh, So as I mentioned, I mean, I, I crashed in this tree uh, really, really fast and uh, broke a whole bunch of ribs. And, and I, I, as they were hoisting and hoisting, but uh, hauling me out of the woods in the the Stokes basket, um, back in the medic unit, you know, they're cutting all my clothes off and, and there's people, it's, it's like a big beehive of activity. Uh I knew that something was wrong and I, and I couldn't breathe. And so the, the medics were doing what they do. And I, I didn't yell at them, but I, I said, you know, Hey, there, there's something wrong guys. I, I can't breathe. And I felt like no one heard me because nothing really changed. And at some point someone said, know, it's just your, it's your vest. It's your, it's your belt. It's, your, it's just, it's just your gear. And I said, no, like I, I can't breathe. And I remember my voice sounded really raspy and it was hard. And finally, um, I think they call it the MSO, the, the lead, the medics lead there. He started, I know he was doing uh, chest sounds with a stethoscope and, and uh, he, he yelled, he's like, Hey, stop. And I heard him say, you know, he's, he's got a tension pneumothorax. And uh, next thing I know, he's pulling out this decompression needle and he's, he's sterilizing my, my chest with some iodine. And I, 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 I looked right at him. I said, man, you are not putting that thing in me. The thing was as you know big as my finger, this, this needle, and he goes, yeah, we are, we're putting that in you big boy. And as he, uh, slid that needle in, it was below my collarbone, I believe. And, and, uh, I heard, you know, the sound of the, the air coming out of my, my chest and it was like a, a tire deflating. And, uh, shortly thereafter I, I was falling asleep because the medications they were giving me, but I could breathe, which was this huge, <laughs> huge relief. Cause I was, you know, they, they told me later that I, w- I was in the network or net network, a uh, ballpark of, um probably not making about another five minutes. That's what they thought. Yeah. I I talked to one of the medics later about it. And, uh, you know, they said your, your heart and your lungs were just getting compressed and you weren't, you weren't going to be there that much longer. So, I mean, they, they literally saved my life.
0: Wow. That's uh that's an amazing story. Uh, After you came back to work, how did things go?
1: So I uh, was gracious, or uh, my boss was gracious enough to let me come back, uh, work, you know, more or less the same assignment that I, I had before. Um, I was still doing kind of a nighttime, uh, traffic emphasis, uh, job and, uh, you know, still doing patrol work. And I, it was, it work was a lot of fun. I mean, it was looking back on it. It was stressful, obviously. Um, I worked some time up in the north precinct of the sheriff's office, and I also worked for a while down in the SeaTac area in the southwest part, which is a pretty busy busy precinct. You know, and it was it was funny because I loved being at work. I, I loved uh, the guys and the gals that were my partners. I loved the excitement of of doing the work. But frankly, when the the shift was done, I was spent. I was I was done. Uh, physically physically done. Uh, it was hard being up all night. Uh, emotionally drained from from dealing with the people that you know, whether it was a drunk driver or you know just someone you know yelling and screaming at, at y'all night and um, you know some of the the racial tensions in the country were getting bad at that time. And so we'd walk into some of these casinos and you know they you know people would be throwing their hands up, you know hands up, don't shoot. And it it just it took a toll. But it it's hard because you don't think it's going to be you that, um, that their glass gets too full, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I was trying everything I could, you know, I was going to these wellness seminars. I was, you know, I had some of my firefighter buddies, we, we would go, some of my work buddies at, at the sheriff's office, we'd go to these these um, wellness seminars, at the Academy, and they'd give you all these recommendations and, you know, go exercise more, good diet, you know, cut back on the alcohol and, you know, go to therapy. And I, I was doing all this stuff, but, it wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't fixing whatever it was in my heart, in my mind. Uh, it, it was just becoming too much. And I, I was, I felt I, it was weird. It was like a time bomb. It was It was going to go off at some point. And I, at a certain point, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I, mean, I, I just, it was just too much.
0: Um, and you were telling me, um, you were coping in a, in a manner that you found wasn't healthy for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's, it's funny cause you know, they always say things like, you know, you don't drink when you're angry and you know, you drink with people and stuff. Well, my, my pattern was, you know, I would start drinking to relieve stress. And, you know, as I shared with you a little bit downstairs, I, I I've never been the guy that, you know, picks up a bottle of alcohol and next thing I know, I'm, you know, uh, drunk in another state or, you know, I, I, it was never that way for me, but what alcohol became for me was it was my life preserver because it was the thing that I went to and the opportunity that I would that I, I lied to myself. That I would need to make it to the next shift or the next day. Or, you know, if there was a incredibly stressful shift at work or things were rough at home with, with, you know, with family life um, or, you know, family drama or whatever it might be, I lied to myself in thinking that, well, I, I can get home and I can have some alcohol. I, I, I could, you know, drink some vodka, have some beer, whatever it is. I, I can make it through. That'll help. But what I was doing is I was just numbing out my stress and that stress was still there when I was done drinking. It, it didn't go away. And... It, in the time I was doing it, I was missing out on the opportunities to be with my wife, with my kids, be present with them. Uh, and because of that, the relationships were suffering. I mean, it, it, I wasn't growing in a healthy way. And I sure, as, <laughs> I sure as hell wasn't addressing the problem that whatever it was inside my heart and my head that was compounding the stress. So it's it's a weird first responders have this weird job, you know, we, we see, and this is going to sound so, you know, like we hear all the time, you know, we, we see the worst in people and all these things it, it adds up. Yeah. It it absolutely adds up. You know, some of us can, can go our whole career. It never be a problem, but you know, God bless you that you can do that. Well, I I was not one of those guys, you know, and it's, it's odd too because I've never had with the exception of my, my car crash, which it was a, that was bad for That was bad for a lot of reasons, Uh, but you know, I've never been involved in a shooting. I've never had like maybe what, what some people would classify as like the single traumatic, you know, stressful event. Like, you know, my, my agency does a in my view, does a great job of addressing the, um, the single critical event. But I think not just my agency, but I think as a culture, as a work culture, we could greatly improve on really recognizing when the cumulative stress begins to topple over. Um, because for me, it was about year 19, year 20, where I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I kept lying to myself that, you know, make it through another shift, you know, uh, power through, you know, there'll be booze waiting for you on the other end of the tunnel. You're going to be okay. Um, and, and frankly, and I wasn't drinking every day, but it was just more of a, you know, it was my my escape. You know, so if I knew that... You know my, my wife, my kids because I didn't want to involve them in that part of of me, of who I, I created this this kind of false identity of, you know, dad needs to go check out and he's gonna go hide in the garage for a while. Well, of course, I'm, I'm drinking in the garage and that I would try to recharge. and I would you know come back in the house, but my, my wife and kids knew what I was doing. I mean they're, they're not stupid. Um, in fact, they know me better than anybody else. you know so um, the, the struggle for me was before I knew it, my glass just got too full. And you know, as I share with you, you know, earlier, I, I was very lucky to have a spouse who was strong enough to essentially force my hand and, and tell me, like, you, you need to get some help, you know? And, you know, I, I jokingly say, she, you know, she can't kick me in the balls and said, Hey, you know, y- you need to get some help right now. And I knew it was time. And, you know, that was before the call to Code Four. Yeah. So, um, standing in my driveway at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, you know, not blackout drunk, but I mean, I was pretty loaded, um, on my phone to my boss, crying my eyes out, saying, I need help, you know, and, you know, they, um, and I mean, they as in the the small network of people who helped me over the next couple of hours um, you know, made sure that I was in a safe place, that I wasn't driving anywhere. And and like I said, that, that was never a problem for me. I always did it at my house. Um, but, uh, next thing I know that same person who was on the phone with me is my boss is, is driving up in my driveway and gives me the biggest hug, you know, and, uh, tells me that it's okay. And that I did the, the right thing. And it is the most, And it was for me, it was the hardest thing to do to embrace the fact that I was broken. I I was. There's no other way to say it. I was broken. And uh, to have that network of people, which a big piece of that was Code Four, where one of the phone calls I made was to another sergeant who is familiar with Code Four who was able to make some more phone calls and, and much of this, you know, I was never aware of, but next thing I know, uh, Nick Bauer is calling me and says, all right, we got gotcha. you. What do you need? And I, you know, I, I didn't know half of what to say, but I spent a, a good chunk of the next day or so with Nick on the phone and he's lining up a chance for me to go to a, a center in California, a treatment center, to let me finally check out from the world in a good way. <laughs> it mm-hmm. didn't involve a bottle where, you know, actually had some people who could really help me ferret out what my problems were. And I, I, I this, it couldn't have happened without Nick and the other guys at code Four. and, um, the beauty about when I was a, a client of code Four, uh, they never judged me. They never made me feel like I screwed up. They never asked any questions like, you know, how could you let it get this batter or any, anything like that? All I knew, it was very clear that they, they loved me. They got it because they are first responders. They're, they're cops and they're firefighters and they're dispatchers. And they, they, they are the people who deal with the same crap that led to my moment where I was a broken man. And it was the moment I knew that from that point forward, that it was never going to be the same, but I knew that I was marching in a healthy way with good support from people who actually got it.
0: That is one of the beautiful things about code for the people involved. It's It's like when you're around the station talking to somebody, we get it we have a certain way. I mean, I'm I'm saying things that people know here. It's, it's, it's obvious that uh, there's a lingo, there's an understanding there's, you don't have to explain things. And it's the same thing with code Four that people just get it,
1: you know, and I haven't had a drop in nearly 15 months. And one of the things that, that I've tried really hard to do since that time, you know, back in December of 19 was, I wanted to find a way to, to help others and bring this message to other people. And you bring up something so important because there is a, a shared experience in our field that, you know, it, it's nice that, you know, when we're out, out and about and kids, you know, Hey, you know, officer and they wave at you and, so, and that, that's cool. And that, that's really nice. And, and it's, it's helpful, you know, but even if, you know, sometimes people, they, they look at you and they wave, hey, I, you know, we, we appreciate you. and That's great. But they, they don't get it. They aren't us. Right. And the beauty about Code 4 and now myself as a volunteer call taker with Code 4 is I know that when that phone rings that the person who's calling, just like I called, that if I'm able to share with them, like, hey, I, I really do get it. And I tell them, like, hey, man, I've been a cop 20 years. I do get it and there's that shared experience. It's a connection that you can't get anywhere else and there's no judgment. You know, there's no, you know, how, how dare you let it get this bad or anything like that. But it's like, hey, we're here to support you. Here are the resources. You know, what do you need? We'll listen.
0: Yeah, it's it's fabulous. Uh, I'm also uh, a call receiver and uh, I have, in the last two months, took a couple calls. Uh, from police officers and my heart just went out to those guys, the things that they said. And lately it has been so difficult in, in your line of work. Uh, you know, I come from the fireside, but, uh, it is just, I, I just can't imagine the strain right now.
1: It, it's odd because this is the first time in the time I've been doing this where it's not all the time, But we're given these looks from people that that sometimes it's just not it's not the same as it used to be. You know, Um, I I know there are people out there that appreciate us, but I I will tell you that, um, you know, since springtime, when uh, when some of the protests broke out and um, I I will tell you that any cop that has been involved in some of the protests, whether they're on the front lines or whether in the support roles or whether they're like us, our agency went out and we did support Seattle to a certain extent um, mainly by, you know, taking patrol calls for them. Uh, I've seen very little to do or what I feel has to do with like advancing racial equality for people, but I've just seen so much anger yeah. <laughs> in, in the way that people, and a lot of it's directed at us for things we haven't even done. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it is weird. Um, You know, it's uh, it's changing the way that that we engage the communities. And I I recently told a a coworker that I think by the time that he and I retire, whenever that is, that uh, law enforcement is going to be reimagined, you know, good, bad or indifferent. I don't know, but it's changing. And so I, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, there are. Cops, firefighters who can go the whole span of their career and, and never have a problem. You know, they managed to, to deal with the stress and, and they're good. I, I I wish that I was one of those people, um, <laughs> but I'm not. And and I'm okay now looking back and acknowledging that walking into that treatment center in California was without a doubt. And I don't say this lightly. It was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And that, that overshadows anything I've ever done at work. Uh, Scariest thing that I've ever done because I had no control over anything I was doing. I mean, at the same time, though, I could have walked out the door. No one's forced me to be there. I mean, I know I would have returned to Seattle with a very you know, very different home life, but um, I wanted the secret to be out. And I wanted to address this nagging thing in my heart that I couldn't fix. And I couldn't, no matter what I did, no matter how many therapy sessions I went to. And I love my counselor. He's an amazing man. Um, but nothing could quite root it out. And, and I'm still working a finger at what that, that is, because I don't know what that is, but, um, I have so much more peace in knowing that I'm okay with acknowledging to my peers. If, if given the chance that it's okay to be broken. Oh, where do you think you'd be if you hadn't gone? Uh, my health would have been a whole lot different. Uh, It's it's pretty awesome going to the doctor for a physical and tell the doctor, hey, I've been sober for you know almost a year and a half now. That's pretty rad. My um, home life would have been very different So I would have been doing this on my, on my own because mm-hmm. my my wife and kids did not deserve to be around the person that I was. Um, and you know, and that was one of the biggest goals that I had for myself coming out of the the center in California was. Uh, being emotionally present to my wife and my kids, because I can assure you that for at times, not all the time, but a good majority of the time in the months, possible years leading up to when my breaking point was, I was not emotionally present. I mean, frankly, I was hardly physically present because I was barely staying afloat. Um, loud noises would trigger me. Um, I mean something silly like we'd be doing dishes in the kitchen and like you know one of my kids my kids who are their kids they're allowed to be noisy that's what kids are their voices would send me through the roof you know and, and now looking back on it like that's not okay you know they don't deserve have you know their dad be you know upset at them for just being kids um yeah my home life would have been completely different so um I, my i I, I'm not an expert on alcoholism. I'm not. And I'm, just, I'm still trying to figure myself out every day. But I will tell you that um, I'm an expert on what happened to me. Um, I was there. And thankfully, when the fog lifted and I was able to see things through sober eyes and finally start to process some of the, the feelings and emotions that I was having, that it, It's okay. It's okay to reach out and, you know, this message, if it reaches somebody and and they never need it, I'm grateful that that they don't need it. But I hope that if someone hears this and they're like, you know what, Uh, that's me, they make a call and and they might just get another counselor or they might, you know, or if they're heart of hearts, they know they need some treatment somewhere. Okay. We can get them farmed out, get them some help, you know, because it's not normal to see the things we see. Yeah. And it's not normal to do the things we do. And looking back on it, the reaction, the way that I was responding, I was just, I was trying to survive, you know? So thankfully, you know, I'm very, very blessed with, you know, a wife who is beyond patient with me and, and kids who, I mean... Even this morning when I'm walking out the door, I, I got to see, you know, beautiful, smiling five-year-old look at me in a way that I I would, I'd be completely missing that now if I made a different choice, you know, and um, those are guests. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad that uh, Code 4 was there and Code 4 is there for anybody that's listening. You just need to pick up the phone and call and it could be the one of the hardest things you do. But like Steve says, you know there is uh, there's hope on the other side. Thank you very much, Steve, for yeah. sharing your story. You're welcome. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you to Robert Elliott and Jim Gould for their voices and help in the intro to the podcast. The music heard is Wad Game Loop by Kevin McLeod. And you can find that on the web at incompetech.filmmusic.io slash song slash 4602 dash wah dash game dash loop. And the license is at filmmusic.io slash standard dash license. All of the song information is posted in the episode description. Until next time, this is JR signing out.